right. Thank you. I'm even wearing suspenders. That would be my that would be my wife. Yeah, suspenders. Okay. It's good to be here. I love Itaewon. Uh, just just came from Hillside. I uh, hadn't preached there in a long time. Uh, it was great to see everyone there. Uh, Hillside is very special as well, but this is home. Itaewon is home. And uh, I'm blessed to bring the Word of God to you guys today. Uh, this word might be a little familiar to those who are doing the Bible study course uh, with me reading through the Bible in a year. Some of this was kind of things that I shared during Bible study, but I just felt God saying that needs to be a message. Uh, You need to go a little bit deeper into that. And so some of it might be familiar, but it's good. Word of God is good. Amen. Amen. And uh, I'll tell you, without the Word of God, if you are not reading the Word of God, then I don't know how you expect to really have a relationship with the Lord, uh, how to hear His voice. Reading the Word of God, it's the Bible that helps us know the voice of the Lord. Uh, You can rely on your spiritual authorities. You can rely on the pastor to help give you some of the words of the Lord to you. But unless you're getting it from the Bible, unless you're getting it from God himself, from God himself, you're not going to have much influence. You're just going to be a robot that spouts out whatever the pastor's saying. And if you're relying on dreams and visions and, you know, experiences to hear from God uh, without the word, you're going to be pretty messed up. And uh, I'm in the middle of a seven-day fast. A lot of leaders have been fasting this month. I shared this at Hillside. But, you know, when you fast, people think, oh, you must be really spiritual right now because, you know, you're setting aside time. The truth is is that, like, when I fast, I'm very, um, mung is the Korean word. I'm very, like, blank. It's like screensaver, you know. Not really there. And, uh, you know, you hope, like, when you fast, okay, God, I want you to speak to me. I want, you know, a spiritual encounter, like, Tonight, I pray that you'll speak to me in my dreams. And Sky and I have been praying that. And the first night of our fast, I had this great dream of eating steak. <laughs> and I was eating it, and suddenly I was like, fasting. It was so good. <laughs> and I kept eating it. And I woke up, and I was like, oh, it was just a dream. And uh, so we prayed harder, you know, the next night. Come on, God, we want, you know, an encounter with you. Speak to us. And uh, I had another dream, and... And it was really special dream. My kids, it was really sweet. I, I work in an orphanage. Uh, it was just kind of random stuff, playing with the kids. And then I look over, and there's this huge donut. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is this? Huge donut just on the pavement. And uh, I didn't even understand that one, but... Praise God, I'm not going to be preaching to you from dreams. I'll be preaching from the Word of God today. Hallelujah. So uh, I gave a message last November. It's called God Wants to Satisfy You. And it was kind of a fun message. I talked about how God wants to satisfy you relationally, sexually, and in one other way. Um, that's even kind of more than, than the sex part, uh, perhaps more offensive. But if you listen to it, you'll see it's really good. It's really grounded. It's really sweet. Now, the danger in that message is, like I just shared, God wants to satisfy you this way, this way, this way. People just listen to that, and they don't really listen to the message. They could easily take it out of context and become selfish, become, oh, God's just here for me, just to satisfy me. And, uh, you know, the whole dangers, the prosperity, you know, movement, all that stuff. But if you listen to the message, if you pay attention, you'll come out really edified. 
you know, you'll come out strengthened. You'll come out blessed. And it's the same with this message today, only I'm preaching on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, today will be, it's a little heavier topic, but like I said, if you pay attention to what I'm about to share, you're going to be blessed. You're, kind of out, you're going to come out of this message so much stronger. But if you take it out of context, uh, you might just get filled with fear or something like that. And uh, that's not what's in store for you. And what's in store for you, pay attention, uh, is good stuff. It's the word of the Lord. Please open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be reading, uh, this is the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the Corinthian church and he's sharing about his sufferings, hallelujah, of being an apostle. It's a pretty wild list here. Uh, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 24 through 27. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it for us. I'm reading in the ESV. Go ahead and follow along with me. It says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Wow. All right, so while my last message was happy and light, God wants to satisfy you. Today's message is titled Responding to the Shipwrecks. Responding to the Shipwrecks. Just follow with me, you're going to be blessed. Follow with me, you will be blessed. So my question to you all to begin the message is, how many of you throughout life's journey have had a shipwreck? Okay, you've experienced a shipwreck. Now a shipwreck, keep in mind, you know, people would say, well, that's like a car accident today. But no, actually a shipwreck is a lot worse than a car accident. Because in a car accident, uh, while you have damage to the car, you got to pay for that. While you might have bodily harm. You're at least where you were going along the journey. You're on land. You're, you're kind of safe in that regard. But a shipwreck? Okay, you're losing all your belongings. You're in the sea. You're in the cold. You're floating around. And wherever you end up is probably not where you intended. Likely you're going to be on some foreign land. Okay, that's a shipwreck. And so what's a shipwreck for us? A shipwreck for us would be something that just makes us completely dizzy, something that catches us off guard, something that's unexpected, like losing a job, like losing a relationship that we were counting on, or something happening in our family. Someone say that we've been contending for passing away or just turning completely into sin. A shipwreck. One of those moments in life where you're like, why? Why is this happening? Or just something that completely catches you off guard and can even alter your life. Shipwrecks. Now, uh, I love to use the Word of God, so I'm going to give you guys some examples of shipwrecks in the Bible. And uh, it's very easy to come up with this list. There are plenty of other examples in the Bible. I'll just list a few. One, Moses. Moses was raised in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. Uh, he is well taken care of, but one day he tries to defend one of his fellow Israelites, and in the process, he actually kills one of the Egyptians. Pharaoh finds out. Moses has to run for his life into a foreign land where he is a shepherd for 40 years. 
That would be a shipwreck. That would be a life completely turned around. David, uh, when he was young, he was anointed to be king, but he had to serve under the king uh, at that time, King Saul. He was very faithful, submitted to authority, served King Saul, um, raised up in the army, was doing great. But suddenly the king, whom he loved, whom he served, turned on him, became jealous, and tried to murder him. To the point where David had to leave his wife, had to leave his family, had to leave his home, had to leave everything and go off into the wilderness for years, trying to escape his king. That would be a shipwreck. Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph. Uh, He had all his brothers, and his brothers got jealous of him. So they threw him in a well, and then they sold him to foreigners, who then took him as a slave to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, where he had to work as a slave for Potiphar in Egypt. Then, as he's recovering from this and starts doing well, he's falsely accused of wanting to sleep with Potiphar's wife. So he's thrown into prison. That would be a double shipwreck. Two shipwrecks. And what about Jesus, our beloved Lord and Savior? Even he endured shipwrecks. Now, many of you would think, oh, well, that's Judas betraying him, or that's Peter denying him. But Jesus, I believe, he at least had some forewarning that that was going to happen. So while that was devastating, I'm sure, for him, uh, a shipwreck that I think a lot of people don't notice was actually John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was Jesus' blood relative. He was his forerunner. And he was also the man who baptized Jesus. I mean, we all think of John the Baptist, and we think of this wild, crazy guy for God that was just amazing that prepared the way for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself said that there was no one greater than John the Baptist up till that time. But then John is arrested, and we read that John sends his disciples to Jesus, and they ask Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah, or should we look for someone else? And I don't know. Maybe it's hard for you to put yourself in the position of Jesus at that time, but to think that the man who paved the way for your ministry, the man who is your own blood relative, and the man who baptized you to now be doubting you, I'm sure it must have been hard for Jesus. And then just a few chapters later, we read that John, who was in prison, was cruelly executed. And his disciples run and tell Jesus the news. And what happens if you read in Matthew? Jesus hears the news, and while he has to minister to people for some time, uh, we then read, he went up to the mountainside and prayed all night. He needed time to recover. You see, even Jesus Christ endured shipwrecks. Why did John have to die? Why did John have to doubt? Why did Joseph have to go into Egypt? Why did David have to leave everything. Okay, and for some shipwrecks, we can look back and we can say, oh, well, well, that happened because Joseph could become the king over Egypt. He could could help Egypt and deliver his his brothers. And that's true. And for David, we see, oh, it was a time of testing and God was building him up and God restored him. And that's true as well. But do we have an explanation for John the Baptist? No. And to be honest, you're not always going to get an explanation for a shipwreck. That's part of the reason why it's called a shipwreck. And I think the first thing that we need to understand, church, we just got to get this out of the way. We need to understand that shipwrecks happen, okay? Shipwrecks happen in life. There's a danger in thinking and taking my previous message, oh, God wants to satisfy us, then God's, you know, here, he's going to prosper me, he's going to take care of me, I'll never get sick, I'll never struggle, I'll never go through any pain or suffering ever again. That's a lie. 
Okay, that's a complete lie. Yes, God wants to satisfy you, but it's not always in ways that we imagine or we think. Okay, someone was asking me today after the message, um, and I, I still have plenty to preach, but he asked, why is it that, well, you know, New Philadelphia Church, you know, they pray blessings over people. I see certain people that they struggle after they prayed for them. You know, what, what's going on? Why? Why would God allow that? I guess I need to pause, but I'm going to answer that through this message. Uh, I guess I'll hold that back. But uh, when a shipwreck happens, oftentimes we're thrown off course. Nothing makes sense, okay? We've been taught in this church that if you're sick, we need to combat it. We need to fight it, okay? We need to rebuke that lie. We need to speak healing, okay? And we claim healing. And the church has risen up in authority. Church has risen up in strength. We've seen so many healings in the missions field. We've seen many healings here, New Philadelphia Church as well. Okay, we've seen victory. We've seen healing. We've seen deliverance. We've seen breakthrough in family, breakthrough at jobs. We've seen amazing things. But do people still get sick? Yes. Do people still have job troubles here and there or problems with their family? Yeah, they do. And when that happens, when you get so caught up in the moment of, you know, oh, yeah, I got to just do this, I got to pray through, I got I to do these things and God will deliver me, sometimes the question can come, why is God allowing this? Am I not praying enough? Am I not doing enough? Am I not being shepherded? Am I not being taken care of? Where is God? Is God even with me? These are some of the questions that can come up through shipwrecks. And I think one of the greatest shipwrecks in the Bible, I'll share this example with you now, was the Apostle James. The Apostle James. Jesus Christ had 12 disciples, and out of those disciples, he had three who were on his, it was his inner circle. Their names were Peter, James, and John. Okay, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, sometimes Jesus would come in and do a miracle, like raise a little girl from the dead, and he would say, everyone get out. But uh, Peter, James, John, you come with me. Why? I don't know, okay? But God would choose this inner three, and he would do these miracles. When he was transfigured on the mountain, he didn't take all 12 disciples. He took Peter, James, and John, okay? Even when he was about to be betrayed in the garden, he took his disciples to the mountain, but then he told Peter, James, and John, will you come with me, and will you be with me in this time of need? And they went closer with him into the garden as he prayed, all right? God does this. It's just his sovereign choices, but he chose Peter, James, and John to be his inner circle. And these were the three pillars of the church, of the new church. These were the guys that were closest to Jesus and everything that Jesus did. They were the closest to him. And yet we read in the book of Acts, the church is birthed, you have Pentecost, the church starts to grow. Then Stephen is martyred. There starts to be persecution. And what do we read in Acts 12? It says the Apostle James was arrested and executed. Bam. That's it. No more explanation. But one of those inner three, pillar of the church, leader of the church, arrested and executed. And right after that, Peter is also arrested, expected to be executed. Can you imagine what was going on in the church's mind at that time? You talk about a shipwreck. You talk about, hey, if anyone's supposed to be protected, it should be these three. If anyone's supposed to continue to live on and to lead this church into all that God's called us to do, it should be these three. So why was James suddenly, boom, arrested and executed? There's no details to his story. For Stephen, they at least had the glory of the Lord shining upon him. If you read the, the story in Acts, I think it's 7 and 8, it's beautiful, okay, of Stephen. And it says his face shined like an angel. The heavens split. He saw Jesus Christ. So it's kind of like a beautiful moment. 
Okay, this guy clearly died for the Lord. Uh, the church saw, the church, I, I imagine they even rejoiced through that martyrdom. Okay, it was a special time. But then the pillar of the church, James, arrested. And we don't even read this sweet story of how he was executed. For all we know, it was just the undertaker and him. And that's that. Imagine how the church felt. Were we praying enough? Were we in God's will? Or, or, what's, what's going on, God? And I imagine that there could have been panic. Now Peter's about to die? It's a shipwreck. And I have to ask you guys, though, how do you think Jesus was responding? Do you think Jesus was up in heaven? And he looked down, and he was like, Oh, I should have chosen Bartholomew. You know, like, what happened? I invested so much in this guy. Father, you know, what are you doing? No, I don't think Jesus was that alarmed. Okay, but the church, they were responding. Actually, we don't know how they're responding through this shipwreck. It said that they were praying earnestly for Peter. And I'm going to share more about Peter's story in a short bit. But shipwrecks, they cause us to say, what is going on? So often we think because we're sick, because there's a hardship or a shipwreck in life, that we're a failure. Or we've done something wrong. But in fact, God is allowing it because we're strong enough and we're worthy enough to grow through it. I want to ask you guys, do you think James died because the church at that time was doing something wrong? Or because they were doing something right? It's kind of a weird question, isn't it? So often we point at shipwrecks, we point at bad things happening in our life as in we must have done something wrong. Sometimes it's true. Yeah, if we sin, sometimes there's punishment, sometimes there's discipline. But in terms of this, to, to take the pillar of the church, I don't read of the church doing something outright wrong. In fact, many people believe the church at that time was the most unified ever in history. They're having signs and wonders left and right. The glory of God was being revealed. So why? Why? I just have one point to share with you guys. So I hope you guys take this in. I hope you guys are taking notes. But how do you respond to a shipwreck? Responding to the shipwreck, that is the title of this message. And I'm going to just give you guys one point. How do you respond to moments like this? You respond with rest. You respond with rest. Bet you didn't see that one coming. You respond with rest. I want you guys to look at your neighbor and say to them, I need to rest. Careful of how you define rest. I'll define it for you guys in a minute. I need you guys to stay with me. Okay, I know so far it's been a bleak picture. Why, why, why? I think a lot of Christians ask these questions, though. And we need to address this. We need to know, okay, there are shipwrecks in life. All these great leaders I just shared about. Even Jesus himself endured a shipwreck. Okay, some of them endured multiple shipwrecks. Paul, three shipwrecks. Okay, my goodness. All right, so we have to understand this is something that's normal. There will be times of suffering. There will be times of hurt. There will be times where maybe we don't understand what's going on. But we need to respond. God's calling us to respond, and he's calling us to respond with rest. Now, I'm going to share some more stories from the Bible. In the Bible, there are three detailed accounts of near shipwrecks slash shipwrecks. Okay, three detailed accounts where mighty storms came, threatened to wreck the ship. First example I'm going to share is Jonah. I think most of you guys know the story of Jonah. 
He was called to go speak to the city of Nineveh, which was this big evil city in the north, uh, the capital of Assyria. And Jonah said no, and he ran away. He went the opposite direction, and he got in a boat to try and get away from God. And, of course, God sent the storm, and I think you know the story. They, they throw Jonah off the boat, and he gets swallowed by a fish for three days and three nights. And he's thrown up on the land, and Jonah goes to the city. He obeys. Now, a lot of people, I remember learning that story in Sunday school, and it was taught to me kind of like Jonah was afraid. Jonah was scared. And I want to make sure you guys know that that was not the case. Actually, Jonah, in, in my book, reading the Bible, he was one of the most faith-filled men in the entire Bible. Jonah was a man set apart and was actually not running in fear. He was running because of faith. You see, Jonah was a prophet to Israel at that time, which was in the northern kingdom. It was a land of idolatry. It was a land of sin. And all the prophets at that time were telling the people, repent, repent, or there will be judgment. There will be exile. Repent, repent, repent. And so when Jonah was told by God, stop preaching to Israel, now go to the land of the north, go to that land that I've warned them about and preach to them, Jonah knew, if I go to Nineveh and I speak the word of the Lord and they repent, God will be able to use them. And if God can use the Assyrians, he will send them to Israel and they will kill my friends. They will exile my family, enslave the children and destroy the land. Jonah didn't want to see that happen. So he disobeyed God and he ran. And if you study history, even after he preached to Assyria, and he did it with boldness, I mean, crazy boldness, he went to the city and he just yelled, repent or you're all dead. That's all he did. He went to this scary city and he did that. He was still angry at God. So he was like, God, why are you allowing these people to repent? Because he knew Assyria would be used to judge Israel. And they did. That's Jonah, okay? I want to make sure you guys understand that. Jonah was fleeing out of faith, not out of fear. And so let me read what happens when the storm picks up. I'm going to just read it for you guys in Jonah chapter 1, 5 and 6. It says, Then the mariners, okay, the people on the ship, they were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What was Jonah doing during the storm, during the near shipwreck? Sleeping. He was getting good sleep. Kind of interesting. Okay, now maybe you guys don't like that example because that storm came because of his sin. But let me share another example. Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 8, there's a story of him getting on a boat with his disciples, and a huge storm comes. I'm going to read this one for you guys. This is Matthew 8, verses 24 through 27. It says, When he got into the, into the boat, the disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Another big storm. Once again, the boat's getting destroyed by the waves. And once again, the man of God is sleeping peacefully. You see, in moments that to the world around them seem catastrophic, 
They were resting. And that's actually what God is calling us to do. In Acts chapter 27, I said there were three accounts. There's one more, and this is a detailed account. It's a long chapter. I wish I could read it for you, but it would take too long. Acts chapter 27, Paul's first shipwreck. He is on the way to Rome. He's been called by God to go to Rome. He's excited about Rome. He's going to share the gospel there. He's going to appeal to Caesar. He's on his way, and a huge storm comes. For 14 days, more than 14 days, the boat is being tossed about, and they're fearing for their life. But all throughout that time, if you read in Acts chapter 27, Paul is so relaxed. Now, he didn't hibernate for 14 days, but we read that he constantly said encouragement and strength and comfort. You will not die. We're going to be okay. We're going to see this pass. And he even gathered the people and said, hey, you guys need to eat. You guys are so filled with fear, you're not even eating. You guys need to eat. Paul was relaxed. He was relaxed. He was at rest. And what's interesting is you read it. Uh, I mean, for, think, put yourself in Paul's position, okay? A lot of us, we have a vision. We have Rome in our life, okay? We're going to achieve that vision. We're on a course for Rome, all right? And then a shipwreck comes the boat's off course. It's getting destroyed. They can't see the sun for 14 days. Once you start to question, did I do something to bring this? Did I not pray enough? Um, is my leader not covering me? Is it Pastor John Michael's fault? You know? Why is this happening to me? Are God, is God, are you really with me? This is what happens, you know, when there's a shipwreck. But we read that Paul, he was relaxed. So relaxed that after those 14 days, the ship finally just, it falls apart. It's destroyed. They jump overboard. Some of them are on little rescue boats. Others, they just have to grab onto planks. And they all float in to this island. And you can just imagine them. They've lost everything. They don't even know where they are. They're soaking wet with cold seawater. And they gather onto this island where there's a bunch of natives they don't even know. And they make a fire. And I imagine if I was Paul, I would just be like, Praise God, it's over. Give me some warmth. But what happens? In Acts chapter 28, sits down at the fire, and a snake comes out of the fire. A poisonous snake latches onto him. I mean, this is when, like, us as Christians, we're like, what the holy moment? You know, like, what is going on, God? What is going on? I just endured this long period of suffering. Okay, of, of all this pain, and I don't even know where I am. And now I'm about to die because of this poisonous snake. But what does Paul do in Acts 28? He just shakes it off back into the fire and goes on. He's so relaxed. And it says that the natives there were watching him. And they're like, oh, justice must have come to kill this man because he's a bad man. And they keep staring at him. And nothing happens. And he just continues on. And you read in Acts 28 that they change their mind and they say, he is God. <laughs> hey, he was evoking faith somehow. But look at their reactions. Did Jonah get traumatized or hurt or did he die through a shipwreck? Not at all. How about Jesus? Through the mighty storm, was he hurt or traumatized or did he die? Not at all. What about Paul through his three shipwrecks? Was he hurt? Was he traumatized? Did he die? No, he was completely fine. Even when the poisonous snake bit him, he wasn't harmed at all. 
This is the power of rest. This is the power of rest. And so what does it mean for us to rest? What is God calling us to do? How are we supposed to react when things happen? I'm going to give you guys an example. And uh, this summer, Jerusalem Ministry and Orphanage Ministry that I direct, we're accepting two summer volunteers. We've accepted them. They're going to be living in an orphanage for two months together, serving the kids there, teaching English, just living with the kids. It's an awesome opportunity. Uh, It's also a lot of hard work. And so I've been preparing them through Skype. And I was talking with one of the girls, and uh, they're both college-age girls, and uh, I was asking her, well, have you raised support before? And she said, I've raised $400 for one trip. I said, okay. All right, well, you know, this summer's $2,200. That's not too much, right? Okay. You know, (laughs) she's like, all right. And I began to tell her, all right, this is what we're, you know, you're going to be doing. This is some of the, the training that you need to do, the requirements for this ministry. This is how you need to raise support. And I could tell by the tone of her voice, part of it was excitement, but part of it was like, can I really do this? Kind of like that fear, you know, that concern. And the moment I caught that tone in her voice, just something rose up within me. And I, I knew as I've trained people to raise support, as I live off of support, one of the burdens that we can get is that we have to earn our support, okay? And so in ministry, it's all about what you do. And so if you don't get 10 salvations, you haven't earned your missionary salary, all right? And you should quit your job, all right? And that's a false burden, but it's a burden that many people who raise support have, that they have to have results. And I told her, look, you cannot fail. You cannot fail. All you have to do is be who you are. That's all you have to do, and you won't fail. Why? Because you were led by God to apply for this internship. Your pastor and your friend at your church both sent glowing recommendations for you. The ministry leaders here in Korea, we reviewed your application. We saw the recommendations. We prayed, and we felt led by God to accept you. God's blessing is on you. Your parents are allowing you to do this. This is a good thing. So obviously, God has chosen you for this. And God has not chosen you or given this to you so that you can earn it. That's not what it's about. He's already given it to you, this opportunity. Why? Because of who you are. Not because of what you can do, but because of who you are. Because if it was about what you can do and you can't do it, God would have never set you up. God is in control. He desires your good. All he wants you to do is to continue walk with him, walking with him as you were before. And if you walk with him and if you submit to the authorities, submit to our instruction, our leadership, I guarantee you, you will be fully protected, you will be fully provided, you will be fully cared for, and you will be blessed. And you will be a blessing to the children. You see, the moment a volunteer or perhaps yourself start to think it's on me, I got to start doing things that are beyond me i got to start putting it together with my works. You're putting your faith more in yourself and your works than in God. God's not going to bless that. You see, what true rest is, it's walking with God. Just walking with Him. God's not asking us to be a different person. If He was asking us to be a different person, He would have chosen someone else. Okay? All He wants us to do is just walk with Him. And if we can't hear his voice, if we're in a shipwreck, and oftentimes in shipwrecks, it's hard to hear the voice of the Lord because we're so overwhelmed. That's why we have leaders. That's why God's put shepherds over us 
so that they can speak to us as well. And what you need to know is that God loves you so much that he's not going to let you fall away. I give them life and they shall not perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. It's in John 10. That's Jesus' words to us. It's the Father's words to us. No one can snatch us away. So don't worry about having to fear that your leader has to be right every single time. All you have to worry about is just walk with God and honor the people that God has put over your life because God loves you and he will take care of you. And even if your leader's wrong, even if something's off, God's going to be the lifter of your head and he's going to bless you even more for trusting in God and not trusting in your own methods. Does this make sense? You know, when a father walks with a child, okay, he's not saying, all right, you're doing great walking with me, but hey, I got this mission for you. And it's going to stretch you. And so I expect you, you're eight years old right now. But when this mission starts, you better be 15 years old. No. Okay, a father just walks with his kid and the growth is natural. Okay, and whatever mission the father puts in front of the child, it's for that child. Whatever that child can handle at that time. And yes, it will cause the child to grow. But God's not looking for crazy growth or for you to do something that you can't do. All he wants you to do is walk with him. Walk with him. My wife put it really well the other night. We were talking about rest. And she said this. She says, it's dangerous for sheep to run around in the pasture. They need to learn to lie down. It's from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Notice that. He forces me to lie down. Why? Because the moment you get where you think you're supposed to be, but you feel pressure, you got to take care of yourself, and you start running around that pasture... Your faith isn't in the shepherd. Your faith isn't in God. It's in yourself. God's not going to bless that. You're going to be filled with stress, anxiety, fear, pride, whatever. You got to lie down. You got to trust in the shepherd. You just got to rest. Rest in him and know that he's good. This is what rest is, and I'll spell it out for you. It's walking with the Lord and in submission. Walking with the Lord and in submission. Trusting that God desires the best for you. That's it. He works all things for your good. Romans 8, 28. He works all things for your good. I don't care how crazy a shipwreck you're going through. I don't care if you get double shipwrecked like Joseph. He's working all things for your good. Just rest. He's not calling you to go beyond who you are. He's not calling you to hide away. Just continue to walk with him. He'll take care of you. He'll protect you. If, if you're not hearing it straight from him... The leaders that he's put over you, they'll speak into your life. You see, this month, Pastor Christian called for the church to be on high alert, the leaders. Uh, he asked all the leaders to do a seven-day fast, uh, liquids fast, or, or three-day water fast. And then this week, uh, at the prayer tabernacle, the house of prayer here in Itaewon, we're going to be doing 24-7 prayer, starting tonight at midnight, ending Friday at midnight. 120 hours straight of prayer. And he's asked the leaders to sign up for 10 hours out of those 120 hours, and to go and pray, to pray for the church, to pray for Korea, uh, to just pray for different things at this hour. Why? There is a lot of shaking going on at this time. Pastor Christian even preached about this last night at joint prayer meeting. Those of you who are here, he preached about shaking. And uh, both of us have prepared these messages long in advance. It was just interesting how they lined up together. All right, and what I've found is during this fast, it's been so crucial for me, this seven-day fast, for Sky as well. God's been speaking to us a lot. He's been preparing us. And I know that for so many other individuals in this house, this fast is crucial for them. 
It's not just about the church. It's also for us. But you know, if we were just walking with God and God had told me, I want you to do a seven-day fast in April, I'd probably have been like, I don't know, God. I'll do seven days, you know, no ESPN, maybe, you know. But when the pastor says it, okay, you know, we're doing it. I'm in submission. I'm going to honor that, and I'm being blessed. I'm being blessed as I'm in submission. I'm being blessed as I'm just walking with God. Now, am I trying to do a 10-day fast, or am I trying to do, you know, all these hours of prayer, go out, you know, beyond what he's saying? No, okay? I'm just lying down the pasture. I'm following a shepherd. I'm able to rest. I will put in what I need to do. That's why I need you to understand rest isn't about just being lazy. What rest is, is walking with God and submission to your leaders and knowing that's all you need to do. Stop trying to do more. Stop trying to strive. Relax. Know that God's in control. When the Israelites went into the promised land, that's what they had to learn right away was to rest. Yeah, they had to go into battle. Yeah, they had to do different things. But they realized as they were doing it, man, they're just falling in front of us. Nobody's dying uh, for the Israelites. None of our brothers and sisters are dying. God's taking complete care for us. And soon they were able to rest. And yeah, they had to take care of the responsibilities, but they weren't trying to go beyond it. They were trusting in God. They were following God's leading and and the leading of their leader, Joshua. That's all that God wants in our life. If you respond to shipwrecks in any other way than rest, then you're going to be overcome by the shipwreck. The moment you look at the storm and you start to allow fear or anxiety in your heart, you've already put more faith into that fear than you have in God. You're not in rest. We're called to look to the Lord. Just walk with Him. Just like those examples I just shared, the world seemed catastrophic around the people around Jonah, around Paul, and around Jesus. But for Paul, Jesus, Jonah, they were completely relaxed. They knew that God was right there with them. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. God's going to take care of us. We'll trust and obey. We'll listen. If God leads us in a certain way, we'll do it. But otherwise, we're just going to trust that this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Now, a lot of people ask, you know, well, why are there shipwrecks? Why does God allow these things? And I, I mentioned this earlier, how someone came up to me and he said, you know, I hear New Philly leaders praying, you know, love and, and, and joy you know, and, and intimacy for people, you know, praying these blessings over people. And then they go through struggles. You know, why is that? Was their prayer false? Is their prayer not good enough? No, it's that God is the author and perfecter and God knows better than us. And you see, it's oftentimes in these shipwrecks or in these struggles that we really learn to discern his voice. And we really see, wait, he's God. You see, the danger is, is if God just allows us to be prosperous and successful in all that we do and satisfy all our desires and just take care of us, that what do we need God for? And pride can come in. Self-sufficiency can come in. And this thought that, you know, I don't even need God. And so God will actually allow these shipwrecks. I pray, you know, love and joy over this person. Well, yeah, they might go through a hard season where they're struggling, but in that season, they'll hear God's voice. In that season, they'll see God move in a miraculous way like they haven't seen before. In that season, they'll learn to rely on God and to lean on His shoulder. And in that, they'll experience true love, true joy, everlasting peace. So why are there shipwrecks? That's one of the reasons to bring us closer to Him. But to be honest, I really believe shipwrecks, God allows many of them, for the people around us. See, it's not all about us. Life is not all about us. 
Think about Jonah and his shipwreck. Do you really think Jonah grew through that shipwreck that he became a mighty man of God after it? No, he was the same man before and after. But what happened to all the fellow sailors? They feared God with reverence and made sacrifices to him. They saw the faith in Jonah and they were moved. What about Jesus? Do you think Jesus' faith grew after calming the storm? I don't think so. I think he's the Messiah, the King of Kings, okay? I think he's, he's okay. I don't think that storm was for him. But the disciples, you know their faith was shooting up. Their faith was growing. What about Paul? Do you think Paul became a, a bigger man through his shipwreck? I, I don't think so. He was just very relaxed through all of it. But you know, because of his demeanor, his composure, his actions, all the sailors were saved. All of them were saved because of Paul's actions. And then when he, he arrived on the island, the snake bit him. Okay, he just shook it off. He ignored it. But the natives, something was stirring in them. And while they said Paul was God, all right, we don't like that, faith was starting to rise up. And if you continue to read, they invited Paul into the island. He was, he was able to pray for many, heal many, bring salvation. Shipwrecks are often for the people around us. It's oftentimes in the darkest storm that we shine brightest. Because it's when we're so rested, we're so at peace, people don't get it. And they wonder, what is that about you? Why are you glowing? Why is it that you're so sick and yet you're worshiping God? You're okay. Why is it that you just endured this hard relationship or this person just betrayed you? And yet you can forgive them and bless them and you're okay. Why is it that, you know, you just lost your job. Your boss was doing all these evil things to you and yet you could forgive him. And you're keeping, you're just, you're still smiling. What's wrong with you? And I'm telling you guys, it's in our shipwrecks that friends, family, even the nation around us, they really start to see the Lord. They really start to see him in us. Now I'll go back to that shipwreck of James, the Apostle James, pillar of the church, arrested and executed. And now Peter, another one of those three pillars. He's arrested. We read, we, we, I'm sorry, we read in Acts 12. He's arrested. He's put in prison. He's awaiting execution. Imagine what was going through Paul's head. Put yourself in his shoes. You're in prison now with all these guards. You're awaiting execution. Your good friends, ministry partners just been killed. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't thinking, well, you know, I'm one of the inner three. Surely God will protect me. No, James just died. I'm sure he was thinking, wow, anything could happen tomorrow. You know, what's going on? Now, you know, the church, two pillars now removed from the church. What's going to happen to the church? God, what about the ministry? You know, what about this? What about my family, my wife? What about all this? Imagine how we would have reacted if we were in Peter's shoes. But what was Peter doing in Acts 12? He was sleeping. He was sleeping. On the night of perhaps his execution, he was at peace. He was at peace. Could you guys really sleep through the night? If you were going to face possible death the next day, lose your family, lose the ministry, the new church that your Savior and Messiah just helped you found, you know, it was about to just fall into confusion. Could you sleep? I don't know. But Peter, he knew rest 
And he knew, I'm not the author and perfecter of my family. I'm not the author and perfecter of the faith of the church. Okay, I'm not the author and perfecter of my own life. God's in control. God is good. God's promises will be fulfilled. He is faithful. And so I put my life into your hands. I entrust it to you. And Peter rested. And so I'm going to summarize this message just to make sure these points are clear. In life, guys, there will be shipwrecks. And maybe some of you guys are going through some right now where someone close to you has betrayed you or someone's sick and is just not getting better or maybe they even passed away or maybe you've lost your job or there's just different things that just seems to be putting your life into spin cycle. You don't know what's going on. I just want you to know that this is normal, okay? It's not something we should expect all throughout our life, but when it happens, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. Because guess what? It happened to Moses. It happened to Joseph. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Peter. It happened to all these others. Rather, God calls you worthy. You're able to endure. Otherwise, he wouldn't allow you to endure it. God works all things for our good. And what we need to do, how we need to respond in the hour is to relax and to just walk with God and know that God's not expecting us to be someone else. God's expecting us to be who we are. He set us up in that position because of who we are. And so we just need to continue to be who we are, to walk with God, and to submit to our authorities. And to know that the words, the instruction that they may give us, it's for our good. And if they say, hey, you should pray or fast, or if God says pray and fast... Pray and fast, but we don't pray out of anxiety or fear, like, oh, God, please. Rather, we pray out of trust. God, you said for me to do this, and I will do it, and I'm trusting in you that you are good, and you speak life over the situation. You speak life. Just walk with the Lord and have peace. That's all that God is desiring. And I will tell you, you might not get an answer to why you endured that shipwreck. You might not understand until later on in life or even after you died why you've gone through suffering or why when you were a child you went through different pain or you had a different sickness or something else. You might not get the answers, but what I can tell you is that God is good and God is faithful. And if you put your trust in him, you will not be put to shame. You will be filled with joy. In this world, it cannot touch you. No matter how dark, no matter how crazy it gets around you, you cannot be touched. You're safe. The shepherd is watching over you. Let me say a prayer for us. God, I thank you so much uh, that you are a good shepherd, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord God, that you are watching over our life, Lord God, and that, Lord, you make all things for our good. You turn all things for our good. God, I thank you that you are a God who daily bears our burdens. You say this in Psalm 68, that you daily bear our burdens our burdens. God, whatever pain we've been through, you've felt it with us because you're Emmanuel. You are God with us. You knew us in the womb. You formed us. You created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, made in your image, and you've never left us for a moment. Your love is so great that thousands of years ago, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us and to overcome all our sin and all the consequences of our sin. This is how great your love is for us, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that your love endures forever. It never dies, it never ends, it never fails. Your love endures forever. Through the good, through the bad, through the high, through the low, through the peace, 
and through the shipwrecks. You're with us, God. You are always faithful. You are forever faithful. And God, right now, I just pray over this church, Lord. I just speak peace over this house, God. And I declare that you are the good shepherd. And Father, I pray for every heart, Lord, that is wandering, that's trying to do things on their own, that's filled with stress or fear or anxiety or or burden or pain or sorrow. God, I just pray rest over them. I pray grace over them, Lord, that you may just continue to open their hearts and their minds to you and the goodness of you, that you are the good shepherd. You lay down your life for the sheep and that as they put their trust in you, Lord, they will not be put to shame, but you will lift them up and you will set them on a rock where they cannot be shaken. And I pray for the rest of this house, Lord. I just declare, Lord, that this house is a house of mighty warriors and we are not moved by the things around us, God. We are not moved by the things around us. We are only moved by you. And God, I thank you, Lord, that your spirit lives within us. And that as we pray this week, Lord God, in the house of prayer, the prayers that we pray will not be out of fear or anxiety or burden, but will be out of love for you, out of devotion for you. Lord, speaking for the prophecies, Lord God, the words that you've given for this house and then for Korea, for our families and for our loved ones, God. And we thank you that you are faithful and you will do it. God, you're increasing faith in this hour. You're increasing strength in this hour. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that in this house, Lord, no one's alone. There's a reason why we're called a family. No one's meant to be alone. And I thank you, God, that even in, Lord, the heavy burdens, God, where we can't see straight, where we feel dizzy, where we feel just overwhelmed. God, for one, you say, come to me, oh, you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And you also send your other sons and daughters for comfort, for love, to be your hands and your feet and to demonstrate your love to one another. So God, I just break off, Lord, every spirit of isolation in this house, Lord, every spirit, Lord God, that tries to keep people away, Lord God, from fellowship and from family. Lord, I just reject those lies, those orphan spirits, God. I declare that every person in this house, whether they've been a member or they're a newcomer today, they are welcome here and they are loved here. Because God loves them. You love them so much. At this time, I'm going to just welcome up people to the altar who you just feel like you're going through a shipwreck right now. And uh, it could be your health, it could be something in your family, it could be a job, it could be a relationship, or something like that. Like I was just praying, we're here for one another.